Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with Ming Ken Wei. The latest release of the text-to-video artificial intelligence model Sora makes a big leap for both OpenAI and the broader future of the text-to-video generation. Many believe that the technology generates high-quality videos with impressive length, which can be a tool for real-world interaction. So what are its upside and downside potential? And how could cutting-edge AI tools change the education of the future generations? For answers, I had an exclusive interview with Andrea Schleicher, who is the OECD Director for Education and Skills. He shared his views on the intricate relationship between AI and education. Andrea, this is a year that's celebrating new technologies, especially artificial intelligence. Uh, Sora uh, by AI, OpenAI, earlier already created such a big stir in the world. Your reaction as an educator to such a text-to-video generator? Yeah, it's just the latest expression of artificial intelligence. And what it shows us is that artificial intelligence is no longer just about extracting uh, knowledge and material. It can actually start to construct things. It can convert an idea, a text, to, to an image, to a, to a video. And in a way, I think it enters the space of, of, of creative skills. That's not equivalent to human creativity, but it just shows the power of artificial intelligence in terms of, you know, supporting uh, people in developing since it can support educators you know to translate you know textual material into visual expressions and i think it has it's just uh, another way of showing how artificial intelligence transforms the spaces of, of of learning and education now there's a lot of hyping of course of uh, uh, sora that is uh, only natural when you are having uh, commercial companies involved with that and the entrepreneurs all you know jumping into the same sea right having said that putting that aside what realistically do you think sora at this moment will be able to provide educators with the tools to work on now we know it is still not open source if, if you look at this in the context of broader AI capabilities, I think the greatest promise is uh, much better personalization of learning experiences. Now, while you study, a uh, computer can now learn how you learn and then, you know, even turn your ideas into visual expressions. I think this is a very powerful way of advancing. We can also use these technologies to make learning more inclusive to give, for example, students who have uh, certain difficulties, disabilities, tools to actually access learning content, create learning content in ways they could not uh, do before. Uh, these technologies can make uh, teaching more colorful, more diverse, and uh, enabling teachers to express themselves in, in different ways. I think this is also very important. Last but not least, they can engage educators more in, in research. You know, you'd hope that educators will always be at the heart of the design of those kinds of technologies. So I think there's huge uh, potential. Clearly there is mm -hmm. hype. Uh, we must be very realistic. Education is always a, a human experience. It's not a transactional uh, business alone. So technologies can can amplify, you know, extend those human experiences. Uh, but uh, there are limits to this, clearly. What about for the kids? I mean, at this moment that we see the great debate about whether they should use uh, 
mobile phones and how much time of the day they should use that, how much time of the day they should, they can play computer games. Uh, how important are those in the educational uh, content or not? Uh, so how do you see the latest development of Sora, for example, would uh, add new aspects to this discussion? Yeah, I do think we need to differentiate between the power of technology to enhance learning and the exposure of children to screens. You know, very clearly artificial intelligence. You can make learning more granular, more personal, more interactive. It can make it fun. It can make it more adaptive. I think there's huge potential. At the same time, we do see very clearly is that extended exposure of children to screens has negative effects on cognitive outcomes, on their social and emotional development, on the quality of their relationship. Our, our latest PISA findings showed a steeply negative relationship between screen exposure uh, when students use their own mobile phones and, and learning outcomes. We need to take those things to heart. You know, the best artificial intelligence in the classroom is present, but not visible. It doesn't distract students through extended screen use, but it's generating powerful analytics to help students understand how to learn better, teachers understand how to teach better in schools, actually to mm -hmm. become more effective. So in a, in a modern classroom, you may actually learn in quite traditional ways, but supported, super empowered by artificial intelligence, rather than getting artificial intelligence in the way by distracting students or making learning more scripted, more passive, more reactive. Now, I think this is very, very important that we harness the power of artificial intelligence for supporting learning, but not uh, 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 get, get sort of technology in the way. So you're saying the amount of uh, screen time does not necessarily mean the quality of uh, AI as to how it's being applied to education. That's what you said, right? Yeah, you know, again, the best artificial intelligence is present, but not visible to students. It is working in the background. It's collecting powerful data about how students learn and where they learn, rather than exposing them extended times to screens and making their learning more reactive, more passive, more scripted. Now, I think that's, that's really important that we learn to use artificial intelligence through its analytics rather than just, you know, through exposure to phones and, and tablets. There are clear downside effects of this, and I think parents need to be aware of this, educators need to be aware of it, that extended exposure to screens can have downside effects on learning. But other argues that um, one needs to have uh, sufficient access to these tools in order to know how to play with it, how to take advantage of the latest technology, and what are the quote-unquote characteristics of these technologies uh, to be more sophisticated? Will the teacher be a quote-unquote a purifier uh, for the students? Is, is that the way? Or rather the students should go out there themselves and try to discover what's going on? And meanwhile, whether the job of quote-unquote teachers is still relevant or not in a massive way? I actually believe that the role of teachers will be even more important in the future, but it will evolve. The teacher as a knowledge transmitter, perhaps less important. You know, technology will be very, very good at, you know, transmitting knowledge to students, but uh, teachers will take on new roles. They need to become good coaches, good mentors, good facilitators, good evaluators, good social workers. And they, they need to understand how different students learn differently. They need to understand, you know, uh, who are you as my student? Who do you want to become? How can I support you in your journey? That's something that technology 
cannot solve for us. The technology can expose us to different possibilities, but it requires humans to actually help us understand who we are and who we want to become. I also believe, you know, technology can, you know, provide access to the knowledge, but you need to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what mm. is not. Yeah, making decisions with uh, the, the fundament of ethics, of, of values. These are all uh, issues that teachers are very centrally important to. In a way, you know, I agree, you know, tech students need to have access to technology, surely. But the more important skills in the digital world are not related to technology. Can you distinguish mm -hmm. fact from opinion? Can you distinguish right from wrong? Can you mobilize your cognitive, social, emotional resources? And those are actually things that we learn uh, as humans through human interaction, and they empower us to use technology. So uh, in a way, I think the role of teachers will be far more important in the future than it is uh, by now. But some of the tasks uh, will you know be taken over by technology you know i don't right. think you know, as a teacher you will be replaced by ai but you may be replaced by teachers who are very good at using ai uh, we see the birth quote unquote of uh, sora it create uh, more concerns well at the same time more applauses about new technologies one of the concerns is about deep fake uh, now, from text to video, this could really mean something, especially during a year when half of the world's population is participating in some kinds of elections in their home countries. Now, this relates so far, so much to what you have just described as media literacy for the general public, including for whatever is called uh, the students. So, how do you see the sophistication about media literacy regarding AI today. Yeah, you know, I think what this just illustrates that it will be increasingly difficult for us to distinguish reality from, from fiction. You know, it has become difficult in the texts already for some years. Now it's becoming difficult in the visual world. I think the integration of reality and and and, and fiction will make it harder for humans. But I, I do think this is exactly where we need to strengthen human capability to for for young people to think for themselves, to think critically, to understand you, to question the established knowledge. And I would say actually this requires a deep transition in education. In education in the past, you know, we have taught people to extract the knowledge of our times. You know, we uh, uh, help make you, you know, read a textbook. The textbook is carefully curated. We make you understand what's in the textbook. In the future, we need to help young people more to question the established knowledge of our times, you know, to triangulate, to, uh, you know, your first thought when you read, you know, when you see a video, when you read something is, you know, who produced it? Why did they produce it? You know, what are the different perspectives that I can take? And I think this is a, a really important transition that we have to go through in education. You know, I'm I'm a scientist by background and sometimes, you know, it breaks my heart when I see how we teach science like religion. Right? We make people believe in some scientific theory and then we give them lots of exercises to practices. And at the end, we test whether they have remembered the right answers. Well, mm -hmm. that is the education of the past. The education of the future has to be to, you know, make you think like a scientist, to question the established wisdom, to build new hypotheses, new ideas, to develop new designs to test those kinds of hypotheses. I think that is the kind of abilities that will help us navigate this blurring boundary between reality and fiction. Talking about that, um, we see people already argue whether it is too little too late at this moment. We see Sora 
you know, happening at the very beginning of the year. Many believe uh, for the rest of the year there will be one after another surprises, just as Sam Altman said during the World Economic Forum in Davos earlier this year. And uh, by the way, this technology were available already two years ago. Um, it's only its perfection is being now known to the public right now as a result of SOAR. So, Andrea, about that, is it too little too late? Well, you know, throughout history, humans have always won the race with technology. You know, we have been in difficulties in some periods of history when technology advanced faster than human capabilities. I think the first industrial revolution was the very first test of that kind. But throughout history, humans have actually been quite good, you know, to capture the opportunities and mitigate the risks. I think that's really what, what this is all about. Uh, you know, mm. we have to become better to anticipate the evolution of AI capabilities. Many of the developments that we see have not been so surprising. You know, since 2016, my organization, the OECD, has been talking about generative artificial intelligence. It was, you know, something right. researchers were quite familiar with, but it was not yet commercialized. But we have to become better to anticipate the capabilities of artificial intelligence and design our responses to this. And I think this is what will keep, you know, humans in the loop of those developments. And uh, again, you know, a look in the past shows that we've always been good at doing this. There's no guarantee this will work out in the future, but I think we have to be confident and invest our energy not to run behind the developments, but to actually uh, become the masters. Now, Andrea, you are being described by many as the you know, the father of the PISA system, which is uh, a testing system that's trying to acquire people's uh, sophistication of not only just the knowledge, but also uh, skills and capabilities. Now, how much do you think the system you have developed still works today? When you look at all these uh, rapid development of technologies, what do you think would keep you up at night? Shall I put it that way? Yeah, you know, I think the reality is the kind of things that are easy to teach and easy to test have become easy to digitize, to, to automate. And I think for a system like PISA, we also need to work very hard on assessing skills, knowledge, attitudes that are complementary to what can be dealt with through, you know, artificial intelligence. And we actually use and deploy artificial intelligence in the next generation of PISA assessments. Now, where we actually integrate learning and assessment experience uh, success is no longer just, you know, about, you know, learning something and then demonstrating it. This is exactly what uh, tech, AI is so good at. But actually, mm -hmm. it's about integrating learning and assessment. So we need to advance our technologies. Uh, in June this year, we're going to launch our first report on creative thinking of, of students. And that's very, very important in the world in which we live today, not just, you know, to reproduce knowledge, but to create, to imagine. So we are building new assessments around this. In 2025, the next round of PISA, we will focus on learning in the digital world, not just, you know, learning for the digital world, but learning in the digital world, how we can leverage technologies for learning uh, as a student. So I do think uh, it is very, very important that our yardsticks for success, our assessments mm -hmm. adapt, because they set the goalposts. They determine, you know, what students learn, what teachers teach. So I think we need to work very, very hard to keep them relevant and forward-looking. In one way, the greatest difficulty for education is not to prepare for the world in which we live today, but to prepare students for their future rather than yeah. just our present or past. No? 
Now, I'm very curious personally about how you, with the overwhelming uh, development of new technologies, overwhelm yourself into these new development and also be able to figure out as to the future directions of the work that you are doing right now. I'm really curious about how you are doing it every day. Tell me more about that. Yeah, you know, we have our own research, our own development that we do for PISA. That's one important, you know, uh, inspiration for me every day. But also I, I, I study by looking what happens in the world. You know, I just uh, uh, last month, I spent time in Shenzhen. I spent time in Shanghai, in Qingdao, in, uh, in Beijing, actually, and Chengdu to look at how is technology changing the way in which students learn, teachers teach, and, and, and schools operate in very different contexts, in academic contexts, in vocational contexts. So I get a lot of inspiration for my work by just studying what happens elsewhere, how do educators in different parts of the world, you know, see those challenges. And then, you know, we are using... What, what have you learned there? I'm, I'm curious about, can you give one or two uh, special uh, or specific examples? Yeah, very interesting examples. Like uh, I've seen, for example, in, in Chengdu schools, primary school, that was actually quite traditional in its learning, but that taught the capabilities that young people need to, to be autonomous learners, to, to, to develop that agency, that creativity. And I was actually quite impressed how in a quite traditional way you could develop skills that are so relevant for artificial intelligence. Very, very really? different function. How, how function. do they do that? Well, you know, they get students to uh, to do things, to to create things, to engage in project-based learning experiences. They made, you know, children sing and de design, develop an opera. I do think those are skills that we need in the world of artificial intelligence. Now, in Shenzhen, I saw the opposite, where actually uh, technology was incredibly strong. And then in, in Shanghai, I discussed uh, people using artificial intelligence for classroom observation, you know, understanding the dynamics, the quality of interactions between people. I mean, quite amazing uh, developments. And uh, they all provide inspiration. And if we would know what we know already about the use of artificial intelligence across the world, I think we would uh, develop very powerful learning experiences today. So with your visit to China, with your understanding about what's going on, how do you see the countries dealing with, you know, capacity building of the children vis-a-vis -vis a system of education that is based still on a system a few thousand years old, namely uh, the whole country arrange a college entrance examination. Uh, many of the things being tested are still knowledge at this moment. So how do you see this uh, system is transforming? Is it, how do you see the debate that's going on here in China about it? Yeah, you know, what encouraged me most is that you have uh, in China many educators, many teachers, many researchers who understand the issues and are actually every day researching new methods, new ideas, new developments. The most intriguing examples I saw in China were really in schools where you could really schools, you know, working on redesigning their learning environments, reconfiguring the spaces, the people, the time, the technologies in their own ways. And I think that's very important. You know, I think the college entrance exam is clearly still a bottleneck of the system. But you can see many schools, particularly primary schools, who use it, who use their degrees of freedom to do very, very creative and imaginative work. And 
also, you know, we should always respect knowledge. Knowledge will always be remain important in our lives. It just shouldn't dominate many other, you know, human capabilities like the skills, the attitudes and values that we need to create. But I'm actually quite encouraged. I can see many educators thinking about those kinds of questions. They understand the evolution of technology and they're developing human responses to this with their students, with their colleagues. And I think that's a great strength of education in China, very strong professional body that is actually reimagining education every day. And the good ideas do not just, you know, come, you know, from, from nowhere. They're often created by the people who are the experts in education, the teachers and educators. And mm -hmm. it is very important that they understand the potential of artificial intelligence, that they understand the kind of limitations it has, uh, rather than just purchasing the next generation of technologies. No? When Sora is born, it shocked the world uh, with its vivid uh, depictions of uh, situations. At the same time, people wonder what this means to visual industry, for example, TVs, movies, and the list goes on, computer games. Rescaling is one of the most important uh, contents of advocacy that you are working on. How, when you look at this new technology, are you thinking about the immediate steps to be taken about rescaling? Yeah, and I think rescaling really is about uh, being aware that our skills, our knowledge, our attitudes, our values are focused on a specific time and we need to be able to not only learn, but also willing and able to unlearn and relearn when the context changes. And that's very difficult for humans. You know, we are born, we like stability around us. We like predictability around us and to be ready to em embrace the uncertainty, to be able to, you know, change our paradigms, our ways of thinking is very, very hard for humans. But I think this is something that we can learn in the times in which we live and we can develop those skills very consciously among uh, young people, among older people too. Because in school, learning is easy. You have a teacher in front of you. In adult life, you have to set your own learning goals. You need to understand, you know, when you reach your limits in your current field of study, uh, the biggest people at risk are not the people who got unemployed, the people who get uh, at the at the end at the margins of employment, you know, who do not yet see technology coming into their jobs, but who need to understand, you know, now is the time for me to give up some of my current beliefs and skills and develop new ones. And I think that's that's incredibly important in the world in which we live. And that's a new experience for humanity. In the past, you could learn once for your lifetime. And you could actually, you know, draw on that knowledge in different ways throughout your life. You expand it, you improve it, but you wouldn't be required to completely engage in new skill sets as you have today. But also what's very important in the time in which we live is not just to learn new skills, but to be willing and able to deploy them in different contexts. You know, when you see, for example, a certain skill set that you have is no, no, no longer relevant in a specific job, are you willing and able to go to a new field of work where you can actually redeploy your skills in a new context. And that's also very hard for humans. Now we get very attached to the work that we do. So you're saying that there is a tremendous danger that certain professions are disappearing immediately overnight. Yeah, I think that's what we see. I mean, it's maybe not just that professions disappear, but certainly the tasks they involve are changing very rapidly. You know, it's uh, not uh, the jobs necessarily that disappear, but uh, the way, the tasks that you need to be successful in those jobs. Now, once right. again, 
um, that's something that which which we have to embrace, understand, and and it, it it's not just about technical capabilities, but it's also an attitude towards the novelty. You know, to see, you know, when the horizon is changing, and to be willing to uh, engage with this. Uh, Uh, and sometimes, you know, people have made bad experiences in schooling or university. They do not want to go back to learning. They associate learning with a certain institutional context rather than with a process. And I think that's also important to change. Andrea, thank you so much, always. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tianwei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive. The podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.